0: Julie Richards and I am with you today for Unpack That. And the book that we're going to be talking about today is 20 Things Adopted Kids Wish Their Adoptive Parents Knew by Sherry Eldridge. And this is a book that I was introduced to quite a while back. I'm checking right now the copyright. Um It dates back to 1999. So uh, over 20 years ago, this book came out, but the relevancy for it, I think, is helpful um, for us to be talking about today, especially with this being um, National Adoption Month for increasing our awareness about adoption. And I think it's particularly relevant in light of the election that we just had, and there's a lot of, um, just various, uh, uh, viewpoints on pro-life, pro-choice, um, adoption, foster families. This impacts a lot of people, and if you're not familiar with the adoption community, um, It's something that's really important for us to become, I think, more sensitive to and more aware of. And my own journey with adoption began, um, I guess, 15 years ago. Our family adopted our youngest daughter uh, from China. And at that time, you know, that dates back to 2005. And I'm thinking about all the things that we have learned in the mental health field and neuroscience and trauma about understanding so much more than we knew then. And I remember reading this book for the first time as part of our adoption training. And as I read it, I didn't have a full grasp of what it would be like to actually apply the content from it. And I I really find it A very rewarding experience to work in my private practice with quite a lot of adoptive families. I have clients who are adoptive parents. I have clients who are um, adolescent adoptees and also adult adoptees that go across the lifespan. So it's pretty fascinating to me to become more aware of adoption. And Previous generations, considering their own story of adoption, we used to, maybe in the 1970s or earlier, maybe even into the 1980s, we used to keep adoption more private. Um, It wasn't always told to the adoptee what their story was or if they were adopted. And sometimes they found out much later. In their life and and we handle things so much differently now, based on what we've learned about attachment dynamics and uh, trauma and neuroscience and the brain and all these things that have informed us so much better and I have the opportunity as well to listen to the testimonies and stories um, of my of my clients that are sharing with me about adoption, but also from an organization called Encompass Adoptees that I just want to give a shout out to. Um, If you go to EncompassAdoptees.org, this is a nonprofit that has various um, programs and trainings and support groups and things for adoptees of all ages. They have Um, an adult adoptee group that meets. I co-facilitate an adoptive parent uh, support group that we have. um, Heather Gonzalez King is with me as an adult adoptee. We co-facilitate together. And we talk through a book each month that gives us some content that we can share with other adoptive parents, but then they often ask questions to Heather and to a couple different adoptees that we have um, that meet with us. And it's such a valuable voice to listen to the actual adoptee experience. And so as we are are in this month of um national adoption awareness, I'm thinking and reflecting back to just how much has changed in the last 10 and 15 years, 20 years, or even more, but in my own understanding as well, that the emphasis used to be very much on adoptive parents kind of celebrating adoption as a very positive, heartwarming, amazing miracle of having a family. And it's a a different way to have your family grow, but very much a gift, a blessing, a positive thing. And it's only through listening to a lot of different adoptee voices and authors and speakers and also understanding the nature of trauma that before there was an adoption There was a relinquishment and a loss. And the story that adoptees are attempting to um, integrate and heal from and work through is one of loss. And that is an enormous, devastating, painful, difficult trauma. And so we're holding space and learning as an adoption community as adoption competent therapists as adoptive parents who are wanting to walk this healing journey we're learning how to hold space with these two paradoxes that yes it can be an amazing welcome of a family and love and support and it can also be really a lot more complicated than that a lot more complex and it can have Pain and trauma and um, fear and uncertainty and um, a lot of trying to figure out and untangle all the different layers. And we do that cognitively, like with our thoughts, but we also have this trauma that is like locked in our body. That we're they're working through all these layers of unconscious. Um, dynamics between people. And we can get um, triggered, we can get different fears that come up, some autonomic responses of our brain trying to keep us safe, and how we interact in relationships. Um, Things like transitions being really hard, and uh, relationships that feel maybe Inconsistent or um, unstable or very scary, or getting to the end of a semester and having a new teacher or a new class, even all the way up into college or graduate work, where these kinds of transitions can feel just too overwhelming and too triggering. So, there's a lot that can be happening for an adoptee. This is something that is developmental across the lifespan. And so the adoption started possibly in childhood. Some for some they could be adopted at birth. And people talk about, you know, they don't know another parent or part of their story. So we've only been a family together. And they can't imagine that there is implicit unconscious dynamics in that grief. That they still have, these adoptees still have a birth family or a first family. And their body knows that, their brain knows that, their unconscious is aware that there's been kind of a ripping away or a a relinquishment that has been um, not how we are designed and wired, biologically wired to stay with our biological family. So we're having to understand and learn that this is painful and complex and difficult. And that doesn't make the story of the adoptive parent untrue, that it can also very much be a wonderful gift and a blessing and a positive thing in how people can um, have a family and have connection but we have to hold space for all of that together. So with that kind of introduction to to this book, I'm just kind of mindfully aware and inviting you all with me into where we are as, as a nation. Um, I know some of the complexities that the election holds is... Pro life and pro choice, and what about the unborn, and what about adoption? And all of these layers are really difficult to hold. And I say that with the utmost um, kindness, and love, and support that I think everybody hopefully wants the best, um, the most loving, supportive, respectful thing, um, for all people, for all humans. Um, but there's a lot that goes into adoption. There's a lot that, um, when people are voting, uh, pro-choice and wanting to respect birth mothers. And when people are voting Pro life and wanting to um, advocate for adoption, all of that requires uh, so much. I mean, it really does, as far as um, s- emotional support, financial support, medical support, um, counseling support, and across the lifespan, too. Uh, I mentioned that a moment ago with developmentally across the lifespan, what that translates to is that when a child is growing up initially, you know, cognitively, they don't have the capacity to understand what we're talking about. Whenever we're saying that, um, that you have a birth mother or a first mother that's different than the adoptive mother, things like this. Um, and I do include a birth father and an adoptive father in that. I know sometimes for For dads, that's hard to not be on the forefront. I think all of it is very relevant and important. And there is something very connecting, though, about having a child literally attached by an umbilical cord where you are hearing uh, sounds and um, bodies. Sensations of digestion and heartbeat, and just all of the ways our our cells are functioning and being so bonded and so connected with that, and so held by that uh, for nine months. There is something very powerful about that um, that we can't take lightly either. So as they're trying to understand their story, um. Sometimes, around the age of six, five, six, seven they're they're realizing that they are different maybe than their peers um if it's a transracial adoption it's um they don't have the same skin color perhaps or the same ethnicity, and that's very different uh than their peers and then Going into adolescence, we've got the rewiring of our brain and all of our um, neurotransmitters and stress signals that are going off and the rewiring where we're getting rid of parts of our brain that are getting pruned out that aren't being used and we're trying, our brain is um, becoming more efficient. And that stressful time can be, Another wave of challenge uh, for an adoptee, and then as they go off to school at and go to a college or move away from home or have um, their starts of adulthood, that kind of reminds them of where are their roots, where's home, um, what might my birth family have been doing or deciding, or what might that have been like. And then there's another layer of it. If they choose to have children themselves, then they think about the start of their story. Um, there's just so many reminders of where do I belong? Where do I fit in? What, what um, does home look like? And what does it feel like? So going back in then to this book, 20 Things Adopted Kids Wish Their Adoptive Parents Knew. It's so important that we are looking at and listening for the adoptee voice. And Sherry Eldridge is, I believe, adopted herself. And um, so the perspective that she's bringing as an adoptee is an important thing to Acknowledge and really respect that this is coming from a place of her own story and also hearing from other adoptees as well. Um, Each experience might be very unique. And so, what I recommend to people whenever they read this book as an adoptive parent or as an adult adoptee trying to go back and make sense of their own story that some of these chapters and phrases will be spot on relevant and it'll potentially really resonate for people. But then some things might be not as helpful or not really um, something that adoptees are, you know, a specific person might be really struggling with. And so I think the best thing for us to do as we read any text like this or listen to any person's story is to just allow space for each unique, unique experience that um, the expert of each person's story is the person themselves. And we just want to seek to be able to hear and understand and from an attachment standpoint, we want to help there be a safe place for someone to be seen and known and cared for and heard and understood, which is really hard when you're coming from a trauma background because it does it might not feel safe to be seen. It might feel risky that if um, if you really knew me or if you um, decided that you didn't want me, you could suddenly reject me. And different dynamics that make it really hard to even be seen and be loved and have positive emotions and positive experiences. It's all really tangled and complicated. So the way the book is set up is that it goes through these, there's actually 22 chapters in it and they're pretty brief. So it's Helpful to just kind of even go to the sections of the book that are most helpful for you that you're um, wanting to learn more about. Um, She starts off with just an introduction of um, adoption through the eyes of a child, that it begins with loss, and that we are wanting to understand first and foremost from the adoptee voice. One of the things that she talks about, uh, in the very first chapter related to loss is, is grief is the idea of grief on page five. Um, grief is a natural response to loss and those touched by adoption must be given permission to revisit emotionally, the place of loss, feel the pain, scream, the anger, cry, the tears, and then allow themselves to be loved by others. If left unresolved, this grief can and often does sabotage the strongest of families and the deepest potential within the adopted child. And so this grieving process is is fundamental and so important. And the pain that is in the loss and the relinquishment has to be able to be um, worked through and um, witnessed empathically with someone who's safe to be able to hold, hold space with, have capacity for um, the depth of that kind of pain. Um, the majority, she talks about on page nine, the majority of adoptees don't talk um, they're terrified of rejection. And their reasoning goes, if I let anyone see how needy or hurting I am inside, they might reject me too. And then where would I be? I would have no one. So it really is important to be able to cultivate relationships that can be safe, um, which is why I really advocate for uh, support groups and counseling and um, Encompass Adoptees being the nonprofit um, here in Columbus that people can network with and get to know um, others who have walked a similar journey. One of the things that is at the core for adoptees, um, she talks about on uh, pages 10 and 11, she says, um, Another reason that adoptees don't talk is that the pain. That accompanies loss is elusive, subtle, and hard to wrap words around. And she talks about the concept of anxiety being um, that with all the traumatic things of separation from the original parents, they really can't um, maybe explicitly remember about that trauma, but they implicitly. Have that in their body, in their nervous system. And so she says, no, they will probably not remember these events as a series of pictures which can be recalled. What is remembered or preserved is anxiety, a primitive kind of terror which returns in waves in later life. Loss and danger of loss of love become recurrent themes or life patterns. And what is preserved may be a profound moodiness or depression in later life, the somatic memory of the first tragic loss, which returns from the unremembered past, even ironically at moments of pleasure and success. So, even uh, positive emotions, joy, happiness, those can feel very scary and threatening too, um, as just not being able to um, risk, I think, being really happy that that would last or that that um, would feel good. It might feel so unfamiliar or so um, I can't really want something that I might not be able to keep or have. And it's, it's conflicted with all the hard feelings too. So it's hard to feel the positive emotions whenever there are things that are, are painful and you're feeling both of them. But she talks about Sherry Eldridge in the end of chapter one. She said, there is hope. Um, it's clear that healthy grafting doesn't always come easily in adoptive families. Neither is it spontaneous nor natural. Rather, it is a labor of sacrificial love and commitment occurring whenever a parent or therapist observes behavior symptomatic of unresolved adoption loss, comprehends the unspoken needs and feelings masked by the symptoms, and compassionately engages the child in conversation that fosters identification and verbalization of the feelings and needs. Here healing begins. Hear the delicate tissues from the parents and the severed branch mingle together to form a lasting, intimate attachment that will serve as a model for future healthy relationships. Today, I had the opportunity to listen to uh, Robin Goebel, who is a therapist that we were going to be uh, meeting with on Off the Beaten Path, that I'm super excited about. And she had. Kind of a podcast moment with um, Anne Heffron, which is um, an author and adult adoptee that um, they were just processing together, um, just how hard it is to hold the paradoxes together. And Robin works with; she's an adoptive mom herself, and she works with a lot of families that go through this um, this healing journey. And it was just a powerful talk to be able to sit with, like, how do we move from the focus of National Adoption Month being on adoptive parents and families and uh, Family Day, and sometimes it it was previously very frequently called Gotcha Day, which a lot of adoptees verbalize that they don't like that language of it. Um, how do we shift to understanding just how raw and vulnerable it feels to be trying to heal from something so substantial that literally our, our nervous system, our unconscious world, our implicit memories are driving so much fear and so much pain and so much grief. That um, Anne Hefron was just saying it feels like like death, like annihilation, just intense pain. And how do we as adoptive parents and therapists and maybe spouses and friends? How do we come alongside? And say, I'm gonna be here no matter what to give you support. And so, my capacity to be able to hold hard things and hard emotions and painful places is gonna have to grow. And what I'm gonna have to do as an adoptive parent, I know one of the things um, that I often connect with Kristen Santel about, who is a therapist. Here in Columbus, who is also an adult adoptee and teaches and um, does different trainings on adoption. It is so important for adoptive parents to keep doing the work of your own healing uh, because you will so likely be triggered by uh, pain, by grief, by loss, um, by strong emotions, by depth of feelings and complexity that it will likely tap into all kinds of unresolved things for adoptive parents or also I would even say for spouses. Um, so it's just really important that we we can all learn to listen and to um, seek to understand and to heal and tie him back around to the book, which I know I'm kind of covering a lot of just adoption concepts that I would really love for us to continue to explore, um, over multiple different episodes that we do with Community Roots and with Off the Beaten Path, um, just how important it is to get to know more of what healing looks like. In part two of this book, um, 20 Things That Adopted Kids Wish Their Adoptive Parents Knew. Um, A few of the titles, I'll just read to you the chapter titles because they speak um, volumes just even in the title. Um, One is, I suffered a profound loss before I was adopted. You are not responsible. And so knowing that coming into the adoption story, there has been profound loss. Another chapter says, if I don't grieve my loss, my ability to receive love from you and others will be hindered. My unresolved grief may surface in anger toward you. A different chapter. Another chapter is, I need your help in grieving my loss. Teach me how to get in touch with my feelings about my adoption and then validate them. Another one is just because I don't talk about my birth family doesn't mean I don't think about them. And the chapter that follows that, I want you to take the initiative in opening conversations about my birth family. So there's lots of um, kind of untangling the different layers of what does it mean to be adopted? Um, How do we make sense of the story? How do we talk about it? There's a chapter called, I'm afraid you will abandon me. There's another one called, I may appear more whole than I actually am. I need your help to uncover the parts of myself that I keep hidden so I can integrate all the elements of my identity. Um, And then there's some helpful ones of just um, understanding how we relate um, in our relationships and what we share. There's one called, please respect my privacy regarding my adoption. Don't tell other people without my consent. Like, we can't be exposing details of another person's um, pain or trauma or loss or grief. That they get to decide who they share what with and to what extent. Another one is birthdays may be difficult for me. Birthdays can be a very triggering time because we're reminded of the start of our story. And for adoptees, the start of their story is often missing and unknown. And so it's like arriving late to your own life of not knowing what what came before the story that you'll never have full awareness of for some people, depending on, um, if birth parents can be found or not. And then we often share, you know, one side of the story we, we share maybe sometimes adoptive parents want to focus on all of the good things. Um, and even sometimes sharing something about, you know, God or faith that that this is an answer to prayer or um, or a gift, a blessing, all the positive things. All of that can be true for adoptive parents, but what it communicates and conveys to an adoptee is what kind of God is this that would bring me this much pain and loss and grief and anguish? And how is that ever okay? And we we so want to bring people to a place of comfort or peace, but it's really not fair to that adoptee who's trying to really make sense of all the different conflicting layers and painful emotions. And so we have to be able to acknowledge and. Um, just validate what that reality has been like for them. There's another chapter called um, "Not Knowing My Full Medical History" can be distressing at times, and obviously, that has lots of layers of complexity. Of even every time you go to the doctor or you go to a therapist and you're trying to come up with your your history, for many adoptees, there's a lot of unknowns, and it's really hard to not have more answers or to not have clarity on things like that. Sometimes adoptive parents want to say this was for your benefit or your good that that your birth mother loved you and wanted what was best for you. But that doesn't necessarily speak truth because we sometimes don't know the whole scenario of what a birth mother might have been going through. Um, There's likely a lot of layers of complexity as well as um, potential trauma for birth mothers too. And so to give simplistic answers, no matter how loving or supportive or kind they might sound, they really don't feel like they can hold the weight of what might be more true, or what is felt in their experience? There's another chapter um, called "I am afraid I will be too much for you to handle." And another one after that says, "When I act out my fears in obnoxious ways, please hang in there with me and respond wisely, which I know we've we've gone through this book. Um, in our adoptive parent group. And sometimes the language is not what we would want it to be. We sometimes go through these books, crossing things out that we don't like the wording. So um, obnoxious ways is not one that I would have wanted um, the author to choose there. But basically when I have so much fear and I am overwhelmed, I think that would be maybe a fair way to say it, please hang in there with me. Um, and then the book closes with the chapter, even if I decide to search for my birth family, I will always want you to be my parents. I think even that is a little bit, um, a little too Pollyanna a bit, because there's just so many messy emotions of, um you know, if if an adoptee is able to seek out their birth family and learn more of their history, it is not a rejection of adoptive families. And the reality is that they do have more than one family. And I don't think there's ever um, a complete sense of really having a voice and a choice for an adoptee, that this was something that was decided before they had a voice. Um, No one asked them, you know, in the same way that sometimes people in pro-life arguments about, um, you know, wanting to be a voice for the unborn and to advocate for the unborn In the same way, adoptees weren't given a voice or a choice either that this is what their story became, that they were relinquished and abandoned. And even if it was maybe the safer decision for someone to have um, maybe a home that's able to provide, or maybe it was issues of Poverty or drug addiction or crime, or there's just so much complexity in humanity. And I think one of the things that really resonated with me that Robin Goebel had talked about in uh, her time with Anne Hefron, that I listened to today, was just the idea that these things really teach us about humanity um, and understanding pain and understanding what we need to be safe for each other and to um help be um places of healing and that sometimes it's just really really hard and sometimes it's sad and painful and that's not to say that it's not also um some amazing moments of connection and hope and healing and joy um but even those are hard to hold sometimes. So I guess in our time together today, I just wanted to give an introduction to this book for sure. If you haven't um, ever seen it, The 20 Things Adopted Kids Wish Their Adoptive Parents Knew, I really do encourage you to check it out. There's a lot of helpful things in there, um, which I just Briefly touched on today with some of the chapter titles, but gives you a little bit of an intro if you've never heard of the book before. I think it can be very helpful. Um, It doesn't have all of the um, benefit of research of trauma and neuroscience that we've really had more so um, in the last five years, ten years, uh, fifteen years. So this was kind of written before that time. But it does have a lot of great um, understanding of the, the heaviness and the complexity. Um, I just happened to open to a page, uh, page 48, that I think is a good way to kind of conceptualize this in the author's words. Because adoption is a lifelong journey, and because sensory memories of the original loss will be triggered throughout life by subsequent losses the adoptee will need to learn to be comfortable with her own feelings during various seasons of life. In times of sadness, she must let the tears flow. In times of abandonment, rejection, betrayal, she must verbalize her anger and grief. She must not hold back. If you can help your child grieve the original loss from day one, her ability to grieve future losses will be greatly enhanced. Just thought that was, and she does go throughout the book, sometimes using the um, she, her, and sometimes using he, him. So that is just in that particular paragraph, she, she used she and her. Um, but I think it is important for us to be more um, aware and understanding of just... What it's like to be flooded, um, to have past areas of unresolved pain be triggered in the present. So it can look like there are meltdowns or depression or anxiety or things that are really heavy that you're not sure what they're connected to. You know, for some people doing the healing work in their 30s, 40s, 50s, um, I've walked alongside adoptees in those adult years that there's this profound awareness of things that have been maybe um, set aside and not realized just what a profound impact it was making. And those things are still waiting to be healed and waiting to be processed and worked through in the um, safety of an empathic witness to be there with them. So I hope you will continue to join us, um, in our upcoming episodes of, um, off the beaten path and community roots. And we'll just explore this, um, this topic of adoption. If you have been adopted yourself, or if you are an adoptive parent or a birth parent, um, I hope you'll really, uh, connect in with us and share your thoughts and feelings, and feedback with us. We're always open to hear it. And if you are not someone who knows someone in adoption, there is um, obviously ways to become more informed, to be able to support in light of pro-life, pro-choice movements, Um, but also even those who have been through uh, profound pain and grief With complex developmental trauma, with your own story, um, with things of abuse or neglect, or just trying to understand kind of existential deep places, Um, adoption might be something that really makes a lot of sense to people who maybe didn't have words for it before, of feeling very um, untethered or. not mirrored enough to understand their own story or not being heard or not being understood. So there's lots of rich um, material for us to explore together and to sit with and continue to unpack together. So thank you so much for joining me today on Unpack That and encourage you to give this book by Sherry Eldridge a look and see What you think of it, um, share it with others. Feel free to reach out on Facebook or Instagram or email to um, communityrootspod at gmail.com. And um, I'm looking forward to just what we will continue to explore together. So thanks so much for being with me today and continue to stay in touch. And a quick uh, reminder too that I do have on my blog that I have started on my website, jhrcounseling.com, which is a place that I try to explore some of these challenging um, thoughts and feelings and give you an opportunity to um, reflect a little bit through journaling or do action steps of things that can help um, encourage your, your healing journey, your healing path. So, um, We want to give you support so that you feel less alone and more a part of this community here at Community Roots. So thanks, everyone. Take good care, and I will see you next time.